You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow, you know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time. To up the floor. Reads a drop down. Kobe! Oh! Up high! Down hard! Kobe Bryant! Very deep, yeah. Blocked by LeBron! That basketball oh, oh, oh. will never be the same! <laughs> so that now has entered the fray. Yes! And we're back on Harder Radio, Benola Liev and Kevin Larme with you. Ben, March Madness is over, and well, to your biggest disappointment, the Tar Heels are national champions. Yes, and the Tar Heels have become national champions in the only way uh, the Tar Heels can ever win and the thing is by uh, squeaking by through the worst officiating I've ever seen. Um, I have, I've been watching college basketball since lesser, for a lesser time than I've been watching the NBA, but it's been a long time since I've seen a game this poorly refed. Honestly, it was a, it was a complete mess. As, as great as the Final Four was, um, the championship game was an absolute fiasco. Yeah, exactly. It was a terrible, terrible national championship game. We were talking like the final four games were amazing. The ups and downs, the it was like the moments, the change of leads and the great potential of, oh, who's going to win? This game was atrocious. It was a mistakes. It was it seems like the nerves got to the players at that level, at that stage of the game. Um, yes and no. I mean, the game was poorly refed. Um, there were some some really dubious double dribble calls, some dubious travel calls. Um, yeah, the players might have been a little bit uh, restless, but um, it's really the ref. I think it was Vern Harris, the name of the ref of the that game. He he called absolutely everything on Gonzaga. He, called, he made some terrible calls on North Carolina's side, too. But as he did all tournament, as the refs did all tournament, they left Justin Jackson to do whatever he wanted. Um, Justin Jackson, which we will talk about later in the podcast, has done very good in this tournament, but has been helped by the fact he could virtually not foul. That was a big factor in the final game. Yeah, so there's not a lot to talk about, right? North Carolina won. Gonzaga is, yeah, has gone one step further, not the champions yet but it's going to be just a matter of time before that program finally wins the big game having had a great tournament up to that point so what else could we say about the 2017 edition of March Madness um, they, uh, Gonzaga might have a lot of players of key players going into draft this year because they've done very good for themselves Nigel Williams Scott which will again we'll talk about uh, later he who did a terrific uh, two-way um, two-way uh, tournament. He played very well offensively, very well defensively. Uh, Zach Collins, also one of the two bigs at Gonzaga, made a uh, very big impact for uh, for the team. He's a, he's a bit of a 
jack of all trades. He's a, he's a living tool belt. He's a James Bond of uh, of big guys, of college big guys. So it was really impressive too. Um, but I think the unsung hero of North Carolina's North Carolina's win was really Theo Pinson. Theo Pinson was one of these kids who came in very highly touted from high school. People were saying, oh, he is a gorgeous athlete. He's going to be a lottery pick for school, for sure. Then he came to North Carolina, hit the logjam, did not develop as expected. And now nobody talked about him. And he played a logjam defense in the final four against Dylan Brooks. He had Dylan Brooks from Oregon fouling out of the game, which was a huge. Um, he played, once again, wonderful lockdown defense in the finals. Um, Theo Pinson will probably remain in college until his senior year because he doesn't have a very viable draft stock. But I wouldn't be surprised like if his clutch play will earn him a role in the NBA somewhere down the line. Like That's, that's a, the main thing in uh, North Carolina's win. Like The wrong guys are being hailed as the savior of the team, I believe. Yeah, all right. So that wraps up our NCAA 2017 edition of the March Madness coverage. Now, it's, like you mentioned, few games left in the regular season in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And basically, the only big battles is for the eighth place in both conferences. So let's take a look at the Eastern Conference, the battle for the eighth seed, the last seed that gives you a ticket for the spring dance. Miami, Charlotte, Indiana. Which one of them will grab that seed? Um, the common wisdom with one Miami because Miami has been playing super well since um, the since maybe the month of January. Um, Dion Waiters, um, the NBA's greatest folklore hero, apparently announced to Kevin Durant um, after the after the uh, the the Heat beats the Warriors that they were going to go on a on a streak. And the Kevin Durant was like, get out of here. And Miami Heat went, I think, 30, 31 and 5 since then. <laughs> they, 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 were on, they, they got on fire and they were real, been looking really, really good. And, but the key player in this, um, in this run was Deion Waiters, who has been giving a, clutch, a lot of clutch shooting, a lot of clutch scoring to uh, the, the Miami Heat. But now he's injured. And the Miami Heat, um, the Miami Heat schedule is absolutely unbearable. I think they play Washington twice and they play Cleveland until the end of the year. So wow. it's going to be a tough end for them. And the team who will most likely benefit from it is the um, is the um, Indiana Pacers, who stand at 38 and 40, exactly like the Miami Heat. And, and the Bulls too. Let's not forget the Bulls at seventh, which are thirty-eight and forty as well. So just because of their division play, they're ahead. Uh, but the Bulls could drop as well. Like with only a handful of game, not even left in the season, uh, seven and eighth spot are not necessarily locked in yet. Yes, and honestly, it would be the best thing possible for the Bulls to actually drop out. Of, they would get a. Um, they would get a. Um, they would get a, um, a lottery pick. They would probably get their GM fired, which they needed to do a long, long time ago. So that would help them. Um, I think, though, that the Bulls and the Pacers are going to get into the playoffs. 
Paul George is playing like a MVP candidate right now. Unfortunately, he's not going to be MVP because he's been playing like it for only three weeks. Yeah. Uh, the team, the team is clicking, and uh, I mean, like, I don't know if you've seen the the game between Indiana and Cleveland that went in double overtime last week. It was a thing of beauty. Paul George and LeBron basically played one-on-one basketball for like 13 <laughs> minutes, and for some reason, LeBron James found a way to get angry at Tristan Thompson during that streak. So I don't know what, what happened there, Yeah. but, um, Cleveland won. So, uh, so that was, uh, that was a, the right ending uh, for them. But, um, the Le- Pacers, I think are going to make it to the playoffs. LeBron later apologized and say, I shouldn't berate my teammates like this on the, on the, on the court. And this is kind of true. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think he was stressed. And you know, like there's a it's very high stress situation. They're not going through a good phase right now, so they really want he really wanted uh, that win. And you know, like whenever you're stressed and someone does something you don't agree with, you'll you you get really upset. But um, but I don't. Anyway, it's going to be water under the bridge for the playoffs, I believe. Yeah, in the Western Conference, the first seven spot are kind of locked in yeah fourth and fifth the Jazz and the Clippers might interchange but going mm-hmm. down there it's kind of locked but you have Trailblazers and the Nuggets the, the only real battle there for eighth spot Portland in eighth and you have Denver in ninth the Grizzlies at seventh have a four win buffer on Portland so uh, you kind of know those seven teams ahead will make the playoffs but Portland or Denver you talk about one game ahead for Portland uh, against Denver yeah, um, it's it's a very ironic thing because uh, close to the um, close to the uh, trade deadline, the Nuggets and the Trailblazers made a trade. They traded the, the, the Trailblazers. The Nuggets traded Yusuf Nurkic, who was one of their problematic uh, players, to Portland, who needed a center um, for basically a song for Mason Plumlee and. Uh, and a second round pick. And guess what? Um, Yusuf Nurkic is a very talented center player. So he was given minutes. He was given an opportunity. He took advantage of it. And now, um, and now the um, the Trailblazers are in front of the uh, for the eight seed. But Yusuf Nurkic is injured right now. He's not going to come back before the playoffs. So that that trade will have dictated the uh, playoffs the playoff race uh, for basically the, the end of the year. And it's going to be uh, very interesting if, um, if Portland is going to be able to squeeze it or if uh, Denver is going to be able to squeeze it to see how Yusuf Nurkic is going to, um, is going to react the next year. Uh, the last game before he got injured was played against Denver and he wished them a happy summer <laughs> after the game. So I, I'm really excited to see uh, which one of these two teams. I think, I think it's the most excited I've been about the eight seed race for a long, long time. Now, the Thunder are in sixth, and they're going to stay in sixth. They have a three-game uh, behind of the Clippers, but a three-games cushion on the Grizzlies. Which brings mm-hmm. me to Russell Westbrook. He tied the record of Oscar, I uh, forgot his last name, uh, Peterson? Robertson. Robertson, yeah, he's not a pianist. He's a, he's a basketball player. <laughs> so Oscar Robertson, with 41 triple-doubles in one season, you were talking to me off air saying he's only seven rebounds away from averaging a triple-double this season. Uh, he's going to break the record with uh, four games left, uh, almost for sure. How does it define 
the Russell Westbrook this record this season. We I remember us talking about the beginning of the season how can he? It's no way he can sustain this. We, that was the only way the Thunder would have been successful in 2016, 2017 is if he sustained the amazing start that he had in the first few weeks, and he did. And that's why the Thunder are sixth in the Western Conference. Yes, absolutely, and he brazenly did. Um, but you know what does it mean? What does it mean for Russell Westbrook? Like uh, one thing I've learned since I researched this is that um, Oscar Robertson, the year he averaged a triple double, did not win the MVP of the NBA. Bill Russell won the MVP of the NBA, which I thought was really interesting um, because because it means it means um, that it's never been historically. It's a, historically speaking, it's always been eye candy, and you, and you know, it, it speak it spoke of Oscar Robertson's dominance back then, but um, Russell Westbrook did it in a more in a much more uh, competitive league, and we're considering uh, Oscar Robertson one of the ten top ten best players of all time, mostly because the average average struggle level. Is Russell Westbrook uh, one of the ten best players of all time? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. And and this is interesting because where where does what does it do to Oscar Robertson's uh, legacy? Uh, was he really that dominant of a player, or was he just mm-hmm. a product of his time? Was he just a Michael Jordan playing in uh, a league of Larry Bird? You know. Yeah, it's a 50-year-old record like you were mentioning. But how I would define that record is that we need to look at the 41 triple-doubles and to see those mm-hmm. games individually. And were they win? Were they losses? That's what I'm interested to knowing. If the majority of those 41 games where he had a triple-double are victories, are wins, then he deserves to have the MVP. If not, well, was it usually... Uh, that useful if you're going to lose anyway you know what i mean like you have to the valuable play has to come in ways of wins of points of your record at the end of the season not just your individual record that's an excellent point i did i do not know what is the uh i do not know what is the uh the record of the of the thunder during these 41 games i'm going to go check that out Well, sure we, if we had a researcher, is, it would be a lot easier, but uh, we don't. <laughs> Those are the type of things I would love to know. Yeah, no, but um, but but I'm curious actually, and I'll, I think I'll, I'll track that data up. I'll have it for for you guys next week. But it's yeah, absolutely. If let's say the Thunder was like 33 and eight or something like this, when whenever Russ had a triple double, but somehow I'm slightly dubious of it because. Russ is having triple doubles in win and losses, and you know he he cares he cares about sticking it up to Kevin Durant more than anything in the world. So uh, I'll just yeah. be curious what path that that leads on. But I'll definitely get that stat next week, guys. We're doing our our our, our uh, year-end season awards before the year-end season awards are given, and I'll definitely have that stat in before uh, Russell Westbrook is getting. For Russell Westbrook is getting uh, consideration for the MVP. Yeah, exactly, right? Because there's just six in the... And you look at the Spurs, which Spurs were, yeah, they were considered a top team before the beginning of the season, but mm-hmm. with the Duncan retirement and the, the, the average, basically, of age of that team, mm-hmm. we were not expecting them to finish second at all. Like, we, we, we had thought that maybe this was the year where the Spurs will have a little dip 
but it didn't happen because of the play of Kawhi Leonard. And maybe yeah. that type of player should be considered for the MVP in the discussion because if not for him, the Spurs might have interchanged place with the Thunder, actually, in the, in the, the, uh, the, the rankings. Once again, Kevin, it's a very good analogy. I haven't thought of this, but yeah, absolutely. Um, Kawhi Leonard has been providing, like I've seen him in person in February. Like I've seen, I've seen how dominant he can be. I've seen how he can play to, to, on both sides uh, of the game. I see how he keeps his teammates involved. He is a uh, tremendous player, and I think he did more for the Spurs that Russell's triple doubles did for the. Um, they did for the um, the Thunder, but it's not everything of what Kawhi Leonard does show up on the stat sheet. And there's a lot of stat sheets things going on when there are year-end awards to be given, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we'll have next week, like you mentioned, our end-of-season mm -hmm. awards, the Hardwood Radio, I don't know, what should be the name of our trophy, Ben? The, the, the radio, I don't know, uh, Hardwood Radio Ball Trophy, I don't know. I don't know. We'll give we'll give it a we'll give it a we'll name like like Sad Geeks trophies or whatever. <laughs> but we'll we we we'll we'll give it a name, but that's for sure. Now that the tournament is over, the tradition continues. The prospect yes. of the weekend it, it it's a uh, NCAA championship runner-up and champion edition with two prospect of the week to catch up on the last few weeks we have one from the champions and one from the runner-up. Let's start with Nigel William Goss from Gonzaga. Nobody knew who the hell Nigel, Nigel Williams Goss the point, was uh, before the tournament, the point guard from Gonzaga, and it stems from the fact that he's a transfer. Um, the, he played two years in Washington, uh, did good, not great, but he transferred to Gonzaga last year, and the NCAA rules are very strict uh, about that. Um, you have to redshirt for an entire season if you want to transfer and you want to have all your eligibility left. Why is that so? I don't know. But um, basically now Nigel's William, Nigel Williams Goss is a senior age with a junior status. So he has one more year of eligibility left and nobody knew where he come from. And he is a good player. I think that if he comes out in the draft this year, he's definitely going to be drafted, maybe even by the, at the end of the first round. But um, he he is a good scorer. He's a terrific shooter. Um, he's a terrific. Um, he's a very athletic transition player. It's very important in today's NBA to play good transition game, to run the floor, yeah. uh, to be able to pull up on the fast break. These are these are things that a point guard needs to do right now in the NBA. And Nigel Williams Goss wants can do these things, and perhaps the most enticing thing I've ever seen I've seen about him was in the final four game against South Carolina where, where he played gorgeous perimeter defense. Like um, for, for people who don't know, like perimeter defense has two, has two um, uh, main points to it. Like you have to be able to stop your guy at the perimeter and the three-point line. And if your guy beats you, you have to be able to shade him on the proper side so that your, your center player or your power forward um, can can block him at the rim and he was uh, like williams goss was playing uh Sindarius tornwell which was, who was the uh one of the one of the best players in the entire tournament uh, in the final four he was uh, averaging i think 25.8 points a game 
and Tornwell kept beating him at the uh, perimeter, but he, Williams Goss never ever gave up on any play. He kept shading him into um, Gonzaga's big Sandra Karnofsky and into Zach Collins, and these two guys just sucked the life out of Sidarius Tornwell. And this self selfless um, team defense is why they won the game in the uh, in the Final Four. They've been super disciplined, and it all starts from Nigel Williams Goss's leadership and play calling on defense. He he was very mature, and you know I was not rooting for Gonzaga in that game, but they played such a beautiful Spursian like playoff Spursian game that I was absolutely concurred when they won it. I wanted them to win uh, the championship game. Uh, Nigel Williams-Goss is a terrific young point guard, and I think there's a place for him in the NBA. The way you're talking about it, he seems like a more well-rounded type of player, maybe because of his age, because during that redshirt year, you practice all the time, you just don't play. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it seems like maybe he's a more well-rounded type of player that could be number five, six, or seventh maybe in your death chart. But the type of player that is the death players and bench players that actually uh, push your starting uh, five. Absolutely. He's uh, like, like the, the, the good thing about drafting juniors and drafting seniors is that these guys know how to play basketball, right? Is that they, uh, is that they, they're not just freak athletes that you can mold. These guys come in with the knowledge already. And yeah, Nigel Williams-Goss is, I don't think he's an end of rotation player. I don't think he's a 10 minutes a game guy. I think he's very, he has good potential to be, um, to play as many minutes as, let's say, Patty Mills on the Spurs, uh, as many minutes as a guy like George Hill was playing in Indiana. And I think he's that kind of player. I think that he's that kind of underdog with a great work ethic. I, I think he's going to be really, really, he's going to be a really good contributor, not a star player, maybe not even a starter, but he's going to be a very good contributor on an NBA team. And now, with a national champion, with a great name for an action figure, Justin Jackson. Yes. Um, Justin Jackson has been the talk of the town all year for North Carolina. He was their quote-unquote star player. I've never been in a ward with Justin Jackson because he's not he's phys physically, he has very underwhelming physique. He's not very strong. He's not very explosive. And I'm not convinced about his shot, which means usually is a death knell for you in the NBA. Um, he, he improved this year. Um, he improved, especially during the tournament. He got hot during the tournament. And he, he did so many things very well. There's some buzz right now at him going at the end of the lottery, which I don't agree with uh, because he's not, I think he's not physically capable of matching the elite in the NBA, but Justin Jackson reminded me very much of a key member of the 2013 and 14 Miami Heat, Shane Battier. Uh, Shane Battier was a um, bench guy, like a, a combo wing who could sink a timely tree in transition and play defense. And this is exactly the kind of player Justin Jackson is. He is poison in transition. He knows when to run the break. He knows how to get there first. He is. He can. He can nail these trees when he's unguarded all day long. And he. He will, in limited doses, be very lethal in the NBA. Like you can't put Justin Jackson against 
people against against the starting unit. Like if you put Justin Jackson against Kawhi Leonard, Jackson's going to go out and cry to his mother after like two minutes and a half. But if you put Justin Jackson against the second unit and like task him with getting points, task him with the defending um, defending uh, a second unit, he can do these things. He is not an explosive athlete, so he, like explosive guys can blow by him. But he's a sound defender. His technique is sound. He is smart. He has a good basketball IQ, and like he looks like a supervillain for from a teenage superhero <laughs> movie. Uh, but Double J Justin Jackson. That's his name. Yeah. Double J Justin Jackson. He's really good, and uh, he's not to be confused with our own Justin Jackson, which, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is supposed to go to North Carolina as well. We have a Canadian kid named Justin Jackson who plays basketball, oh. college basketball, too. I, I, that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, the double, double Js. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in the NBA at some point, you know? The double, double Js. Justin's Jackson's. And, 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 and it would be a shame if they, go in, if they don't go in the same team. They like have to be. For, <laughs> they have to. Come for, on, come on. For uh, for a quick moment in the NBA, Marcus Thornton wasn't the same team as Marcus Thornton, <laughs> and, and before before the Celtics traded Marcus Thornton, and uh, I always rooted it for Bogdan Bogdanovic and Boyan Bogdanovic to play in the same in the same team too, <laughs> which they did in the national team, which was hilarious. Uh, but um, but. Um, yeah, Justin Jackson is going to be a key contributor on, on on a bench unit. Like he's the perfect second unit guy in the NBA. He's the guy you want playing maybe 15, 20 minutes a game and just being a poison to the other team's second unit. Like he's the guy you, you he's the guy you use to keep a team's second unit off the floor. If they both get into the same team, they have to switch. One gets the first name, one gets the last name. So you have Justin, Justin, and you'll have Jackson, Jackson. That would be amazing. Or just like call you call one, one Justin and you call the other Jackson. Exactly. So one will be Justin and one will be Jackson, and they always send one next to the other, one next to the other. So you read in the back, Justin Jackson. It would be amazing. On that note, Ben, enjoy the end of the season. Enjoy the rest of your workday, and have a great basketball. Y- yes, sir. Get your get your uh, get your votes ready, guys, for the year end um, for the year end uh, trophies. We want to hear your opinion. Yeah, exactly. Check our social media at Benoit Lelievre and at Kev Larmé to get all the categories and the nominees. And until next week, have a great basketball. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.